0: just have another word of prayer our father and our god in heaven how marvelous it is that we are here in this place today with christ in our midst with your spirit the one who is given to us to give us understanding into all truth and not only understanding to your word father but the power and the grace that we need in order to live our lives in accordance with your will with the plan the the uh, desire that you have for each one of us, and Lord, I just pray that this morning you might have absolute control of every heart and mind here today, that the word that is given forth might find fertile soil, that it might bring forth uh, fruit that will have eternal value, and that, uh, especially for those here this morning who have yet to understand and uh, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, have yet to have that absolute assurance that their sins have been forgiven and that they have uh, the absolute assurance that someday, very soon, they'll be in your presence. Father, we pray that you'd work in their hearts and by your Spirit bring them under conviction of their sinfulness, bring them under conviction of the righteous judgment that awaits them, and bring them under conviction of the absolute holiness of God that they might be pricked and turned uh, by Your Word that is able to do a great work in them and through them. We pray, Father, that for those of us that know You, that You might minister to our hearts in such a way that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be challenged, and but most of all, that Christ would be glorified and exalted in our midst this morning. We pray these things under the praise and glory of His name. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I um, <clears throat> I was telling a brother this morning that uh, coming out of Roman Catholicism, as I did, uh, some of us that have uh, been saved out of that uh, kind of have a um, reaction to to days like this, holy days, I guess you would say, um, days that are given over to, I don't know. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and things like that. And, um, and yet it is true that even the world today, even, even those around us that would not know the Lord Jesus Christ would recognize that this day is special, that this weekend is special. And uh, as believers, it's a wonderful thing that we can, not only weekly but daily, uh, consider the fact that Jesus Christ loved me And He gave Himself for me. That He went to the cross of Calvary because of me and because of my sins. Because of the fact that I fell short of the glory of God. Because of the fact that I'm a sinner by my very nature, by my very birth. That I am a son of Adam. And made in the image and likeness of Adam who was a sinner from the moment that he broke God's one law, one commandment and ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden from that moment forward, all men... We're constituted sinners. We're recognized as sinners. And we're sinners from the moment of our conception. We manifest. We're sinners from the moment of our birth. Uh, The first thing a child does when he's born is what he do? He cries, doesn't he? And uh, not because he consciously is selfish, but because that's what his nature is. And I tell people it's a perfect example. You know, a lot of babies around here. And so I can tell that some of these ladies will be more um, able to understand these things, but a baby wakes up at three o'clock in the morning with a wet diaper and hungry, and they don't think, "Well, my parents are asleep, and and uh, they won't get up till about six o'clock." So I'll just lay here and wait until they get up, and then when they get up, then I'll then I'll let them know I need to have my uh, my diaper changed and my you know eat. None of them do that, but they're self-centered. Again, not consciously, but that's just their nature. That's just a manifestation of what they are. And then as they grow older, I've got six grandchildren, and one of them's still in, you know, in the oven. But but she's going to come out here in a few weeks. But um, but but every one of them they get to, and it doesn't take very long. You know, they don't have to be twelve years old. Um, some of them at one and a half or two years old. Uh, all you have to do is tell them, don't do that, and they'll look you right in the eye. You told me not to do it. Well, let's just see what's going to happen, and they'll go and do it. And so that shows that they not only have the nature of sin, but they have the desire to sin. And as time goes along, it becomes the practice of our lives, doesn't it? It's what, it's what characterizes us as we grow older. And I, and I tell people, you know, my children and my, my boys, I had three girls and two boys. And uh, my two boys, I never had to teach them how to fight. I never had to say to my older one, Jonathan, now Jonathan, here's how you beat up your little brother. You get him right around the neck and you just pound him with your fist like this until he cries and cries and then don't, don't stop. Just keep on beating him until mama finally comes along and gets you, you know? I didn't have to teach him that because he knew that from his very nature, didn't he? That was the, that was the manifestation and, he, and we're sinners by practice. We're sinners by, by desire. We're sinners by, by nature. And because of that, our sins separated us from God. Our sin separates us from God not only for time but for eternity. And I tell people, you don't have to do anything at all to spend eternity in hell, because we're born on that broad road that leads to death and destruction. And the vast majority of people, not only in the world today but in the world, the history of the world, are on that road that leads to eternal separation from God. I was on that road for the first twenty years of my life, <coughs> and then the Spirit of God stepped in, and the Word of God stepped in. And I began to read the Scriptures, and through them I found the hope, the assurance, the truth of eternal life found not in who I was or what I did, but in Christ and what He did on the cross for me. And I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was born again. I was born afresh, and there was a new nature that was given to me. And I still have this struggle. I still sin every day of my life. One little girl uh, came up here and uh, quoted John, 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just not only to forgive us our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because we sin every day. But isn't it wonderful to know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that right? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But the wonderful thing about Jesus... Is that He not only died on the cross, but He rose again from among the dead. And so uh, the brethren here have asked me, and it didn't didn't take much, they asked me if I would speak about the resurrection. And so here in this, there's a lot of passages that would talk about the resurrection. We could go to the Gospels, we go to a lot of things. I just saw here in 1 Corinthians 15, it's a passage that speaks about the rever- resurrection. And I saw three things that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, I want to share about the root, then the flower, And the fruit of resurrection. Why is the resurrection so important? Why is it so essential? The root of the resurrection is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. The second thing we're going to see, the flower of the resurrection, is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what distinguishes true biblical Christianity from false religions. It's what makes us different. And finally, the fruit of the resurrection is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings hope, assurance, peace, and comfort to the hearts and lives of God's people. We have something, dear brethren, that the world can't begin to understand because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to start out. We're going to read the first few verses here uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen, the first nine verses. We're gonna read the whole chapter on the throughout the study, but we're gonna start out with the first nine verses. More of a brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. This is the gospel by which also you are saved, if you have kept in mind what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain or or with with no. Uh, just emptiness without any value whatsoever. For delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, He was seen of Peter, and then of the twelve, the twelve apostles, and that after that He was seen of about five hundred brethren at once. Over five hundred people saw Jesus Christ after He rose again from among the dead. 500 people that knew Him before He had died. So there wasn't any doubt of who He was. He says, Of whom the greater part remain unto the present, but some are fallen asleep. Some have died. After that, He was seen of James. That was the Lord's biological brother of the same mother, a different father, obviously. God was the Father of Jesus Christ. Joseph was the father of James and his other brethren. He was seen of James and then of the, all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me. He was seen of the apostle Paul also. As a one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet. I am not really worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The, the fact that Jesus Christ rose again is absolutely true. Over 500 people saw the Lord Jesus Christ. After he had risen from the dead. Five hundred people that knew him, some of them knew him very well. There was no doubt in their mind who this was. And they saw him in his resurrected body. They saw him in his they saw him eat. They, they heard him talk. They saw him walk. They saw him do all those things that manifested that he wasn't dead, he was alive. Now, it says here that he was. He died according to the Scriptures. One of the Scriptures that was read this morning, the breaking of bread, was, was Isaiah 53. And I want to say there's two phrases in that entire section of Isaiah 53 that are some of the saddest portions that I ever think of in Scripture. One of them is, it says, And we esteemed Him not. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago when Christ died on the cross. I wasn't there when the Sanhedrin and the multitude cried out, crucify Him. I wasn't there when the soldiers nailed Him to the cross, but I am just as guilty as every one of them. I'm as guilty as if I was the one that had the hammer in my hand and put the nails into His hands and feet. I was just as guilty as those that mocked Him there that day. I'm just as guilty. We, you and I, Esteemed him not. And then later on in verse ten, it has this talking about God, and this is just, a, it's just. Every time I see it, it just, it just makes me weep. I just think, how is this possible? It says, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now I had five children, and, and I spanked my kids. I don't, I don't apologize for that at all. When they did wrong, they got, they got a whooping, and I mean, they got a good one, right? And, and the, the proverb says that a father doesn't love his, his child, doesn't discipline him, doesn't correct him with a rod. And so I believe that, and, and praise the Lord, all my five children are going on for the Lord now. Um, and, and we discipline, we correct we them, we gave them, we, we reward them when they did right, and we punished them when they did wrong. But you know what? I never got any pleasure out of that. My kids thought I did, you know, they thought it was fun but I don't know about the rest of you all but there were so many times when I took my children to the room and I explained to them what they had done wrong and I spanked them and then when they, when they were through we talked about it prayed about it and I sent them out of the room and I don't know how many times I fell on the bed and wept because it hurt me so bad for having to spank my kids I hated it and yet I read in the scriptures it pleased the Lord to bruise him what well, what a phrase And yet I know why it pleased the Lord. Because in Hebrews chapter 12 it says that He saw the result, the fruit of His offering. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. He despised the shame. He hated the shame. He despised the suffering. But there was a joy mixed in that because of the fruit. And you know what the fruit is? Saved sinners like you and me. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't believe I deserve it. And when I'm going to get to heaven, I can say, Lord, I understand why you saved other people, but I sure don't understand why you saved me. Why'd you save me? But He did. And There's no doubt in my mind today, if I would leave this world through death or through the rapture, the very next moment I'd be in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because He told me I would be. He told me I would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I believe that with all my heart. I believe with all my heart and, and, and one, of the, one of the sayings on the cross that was mentioned this morning I didn't believe it before I was saved I knew all about Jesus I knew all about His, his death and His resurrection I believed all those things but I believed them in my mind I didn't believe him in my heart but the big difference is when I got saved I believe uh, John 19.30 it is finished it is finished and so the scriptures, the scriptures told about the death of the Lord Jesus. But they not only told about the death of the Lord Jesus, His, his death was, was, was told in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was anticipated. Uh, Job 19.25, the oldest book in the Old Testament. Listen to what it says. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. <laughs> what did Job know about resurrection? Nobody ever risen from the dead. And yet he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Brethren, those of us that know Jesus Christ can say today, we know that our Redeemer lives. Huh. And that He will stand on this earth in the latter day. That He will return for us. Think of... Uh, The type of that in Genesis chapter 22 where um, Abraham offers up his son Isaac. And again, no one had ever risen from the dead in all the history of the world. And yet he says to the servants there, the lad and I are going to go up and worship and we're going to come back down. He knew he was going to sacrifice his son up there. He knew he was going to put him to death and lay him on the altar and offer him up because that's what God had commanded him to do and he was going to do it. But he also knew this was the son of the promise and somehow or another, God's going to bring him back to life. But then also it was prophesied. Psalm 16 and verse 8 says this. David said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be moved therefore my heart is glad and my my glory rejoiceth my flesh also shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore he will not let his holy one to see corruption why? because Jesus Christ didn't die because he was a sinner he died for sinners he took our sins upon the cross himself on the cross to the extent that the scripture said he became sin for us but then when all the wrath of God and all the condemnation of God and all the righteous judgment and indignation against our sins was poured out on him and he paid the price in full and he paid the price of our sins which was death and he laid down his life and he gave it up and he said it is finished from that moment on huh, there was no more there could be any corruption for him he laid in the tomb for 3 days why Simply to prove that he really had died. I mean, you think if he'd if he'd gotten up that same day, people would say, "Well, he really wasn't dead. He never did really die." I mean, Paul Paul was stoned; they left him for dead, and all of a sudden he gets up and walks away, right? But Jesus laid in the tomb for three days. As proof that he was really dead, but God would raise him from among the dead. Even the Lord Jesus, in John chapter two, said this. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou raise it up in three days? (laughs) But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. I will rise again. He said, I will lay down my life, that I might take it up again. He rose of His own volition. He rose of His own authority. He arose of His own power from among the dead. There have been three people that He raised from the dead, right? During His lifetime, during His ministry. But you know what the thing about that characterized all three of those people? They died again. Every one of them. At some other point in their life, they died again. But Jesus Christ rose from among the dead never to die again. He lives forevermore. So the, the 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 resurrection of Jesus Christ is true because it was anticipated in type in the Old Testament, spoken of in the Old Testament, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it was realized. Look what it says in, in Matthew 28. Now, I've written these things down just for time's sake. So if you listen, Matthew 28 verse 5 says, "...and the angel answered..." This is the, the women that had come to the tomb. "...he answered the women and said unto them, "...fear ye not, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified..." He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see Him, lo, I have told you. <laughs> you know, have you ever thought why the, the stone rolled away from the tomb? It wasn't so Jesus could get out. It so they could get in. <laughs> he was already gone before that t- stone ever rolled away. He certainly didn't roll the stone away to get out. He rose from among the dead and he, in mercy and kindness to his people, rolled the stone away so they could go in there and see the evidence that here's the grave clothes, here's the the thing that covered his face, that napkin that covered his face, folded in a place by itself. Here's evidence that he's not here any longer and he didn't just walk out because here's the grave clothes. (laughs) He, he, He rose out of them. They went back to gather together, afraid, because they still didn't understand. That's the root. The absolute truth of the resurrection. Let me just say this. It is, and, and, and if someone was talking to me about this later, we, we will. It is absolutely essential to understand and believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You have to believe that. The bodily, not just in spirit, not just in some kind of of mystical way, no, He bodily rose again from the dead and it's essential to believe that in order to be born again. If you do not believe that, you are not saved. You do not have eternal life. We have to understand that He died according to the Scriptures that He was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. The whole idea of confession, just like in 1 John 1, 9, the whole idea of confession is to say the same thing as, to agree with. And so it's not only agreeing with God that He died, it's not only agreeing with God that He was buried, you've got to agree and understand that it is true what God has said, He rose again from among the dead. And we'll see that more in a minute. Why it's so important. Why it's so essential the second point we're going to look at is the flower um, let's read 1 um, first, uh, first Corinthians five, uh, 15 and verse 10 we'll start at verse 10 but by the grace of God I am what I am he said I'm the least of the apostles but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain but I labored more abundantly than they all yet not I but the grace of God which was in me therefore Whether it were I or they, so we preached, so you believed. Now, if Christ be preached, that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, then everything we're telling you is a bunch of lies. The resurrection is essential to the gospel. The resurrection is essential to the truth of God's word. And if it were not so, if it were all just made up by the apostles, then everything that we believe is just absolutely worthless. What does he go on to say? Yea, and we are found false witnesses, liars of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ from whom He raised not up. If that if be that the dead are not raised up, and if the dead rise not, then He is then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. <laughs> wow. Wow. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. In other words, all those people in the past 2,000 years who have believed what Paul and the apostles preached in regards to the resurrection, they're in the lake of fire right now if the resurrection's a lie. Thank God it's not. But you see how important it is? It's the key essential... It's what really distinguishes biblical Christianity from the false religions in the world. Muhammad's dead. He's dead. They don't even try to they don't even try to, to, to say that he rose again. He's dead. Buddha's dead. Confucius is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. Russell is dead. They're all dead. Our Savior died, difference, and rose again. And that's what distinguishes us from all those false religions. The the Muslims don't deny that Jesus died on the cross, neither do the Jehovah's Witnesses, neither do these other false religions. But what they deny is the resurrection, they deny the resurrection. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Let's go on. Verse 19, And if this life only be hoped in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, if we put our hope and our trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if it were not true, brethren, we're just a bunch of miserable, we're a miserable lot. Because we put our trust in something that's not right, not true. And here's what our her trust is. We live because He lives. We have eternal life because He lives forever. And if He doesn't live forever, what do we have? We've got, we got nothing, right? Nothing. <laughs> we're, 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 you know why? Because look at the world. At least you're out there drinking and partying and having a good time. We don't even get to do that. Right? Seriously. We're the most miserable lot in the world. We're a bunch of sad, lonely people that got nothing. If this I mean, you know what? Even, even Solomon said, if, if this is all there is, let's eat and drink and tomorrow we die. Right? But, but our hope is in something greater. Huh. Something beyond this life. This life is just, for us, is just a momentary misery. Right? A momentary time of suffering and sorrow and pain. Right? But our hope, our trust, is in eternal life. Because our Savior lives, and He lives forevermore. He so said, "We're the most miserable people." Verse twenty. But now, if Christ is risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept, for since by man came death, by, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, that's what I said earlier, we're all were dead in Adam. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits; afterwards that. Uh, that are Christ that is coming, then cometh the end when He shall have delivered up the kingdom of God even to the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. He must reign till He has put all nations under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. (laughs) Death. The, The truth is, in the book of Hebrews, it says that we, before we were saved, were in all our lifetime in fear of death. As believers, we don't fear death anymore. We, we fear dying. I mean, who wants, who wants to go through the pain and suffering? I mean, who wants to get cancer and go through all that pain and suffering? That's dying. Nobody, nobody, there's a fear of that. Absolutely. But there's no fear of death. Right? There's a fear of the process, but no fear of the end. Because we know whom he have believed. And we are persuaded that He is able to keep that which we committed unto Him against that day. I know where I'm going at the end of it all. Death will finally be destroyed. The power of death has already been destroyed by Him. Verse 27, For He hath put all things under His feet, but when He saith all things are put under Him, is he accepted. Uh, which did put all things under Him. And when all things shall be subdued under Him, then shall the Son also Himself be subject unto Him that put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. And he goes on to say, else what shall we say which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not again? Why are they then baptized for the In other words, what he's saying here is, if, if people are believers and they get saved and they, they, they come into fellowship in the local assembly and they die and others through their testimony get baptized, and come into fellowship in the local assembly, what do we do it for? In other words, if, if those people died and, and went to the lake of fire forever, why would the rest of us want to follow in their same footsteps? That's what he's talking about there in that verse. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Paul was Paul was every moment of his life in jeopardy just for preaching the gospel. I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus the Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought the beasts of Ephesus, what advantage is me if the dead rise not again? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some people have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Here he is. Huh. I mean, think about Paul. I, I, I think about When he went before the Sanhedrin... What was the one thing that they hated him for? The one thing they hated him preaching about? The resurrection of the dead. When the apostles preached in Jerusalem, what was the one thing that they were called before the council for and told not to talk about? Talk about Jesus rising from the dead. And when Paul stood before Festus and King Agrippa, they said, Paul, estás tú It's not loco, you're crazy you know and why because he preached that Jesus Christ rose from the dead well brethren if that's being crazy then I want to be crazy right because Jesus Christ rose from the dead we know that our Savior lives and He's coming back He's promised us I've gone to make a place for you and I will come back He's risen from the dead. Now, three, three verses in Romans, and we're going to do those rather quickly, just for time. Evidences of His salvation. Romans 1.4 says, um, we'll start in verse 3. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the gospel concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This is what God said when he, when he raised Christ from the dead. He said, this is My Son in whom I'm well pleased. Huh. One brother said when he was on the cross, the Father didn't say anything. God didn't say anything. He turned His back on Him. And when Christ said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? in Psalm 22 tells us exactly why God forsook Him. Because He was sin and God is holy. And God cannot allow one single sin in His presence. But the moment Jesus Christ finished the work on the cross, His Father couldn't wait to raise Him from the dead and say, Here's my Son. Here's my Son. Bow the knee to Him. And it hasn't happened yet, but someday it will. When He comes back on that white horse, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There it is. There it is. Romans 4.25 There's two more verses in this section. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for or for the sake of or because of our justification. If Jesus Christ would have died on the cross and stayed in the tomb and never come out, brethren, we would just be nothing. We would just be nothing. He had to rise again from the dead. He had to. Or else it wouldn't have been anything. It wouldn't have mattered anything. If He was dead, in the grave, that's where we'd be. Dead in the grave. That's it. But He rose again. He told Martha... I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on Me shall never die. Huh. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And if He wasn't living, brethren, we wouldn't be living either. Huh. Finally, in Romans 6, 5, He says this. It's wonderful truth. 1 Corinthians Sorry. <clears throat> Romans six five. He says For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Wow. Fantastic. Huh. I'm gonna have a glorified body someday. Right? All of us that know Christ will have bodies that will never know sin, that will never know sorrow that will never know pain, that will never know any of the things we suffer in this life, that will never know death, that will never, ever, ever sin against Him. And will be in His presence forever. And with that new glorified body, I'll finally be able to see the Lord face to face in all of His glory. Because even good men couldn't see the Lord face to face. Right? Even Moses couldn't see the Lord face to face. He just saw the hinder part of His glory. Right? Right? He saw Him. I believe he saw the manifestation of Jesus Christ, a pre incarnate. But he didn't see God in all of His glory. He didn't see the Father in all of His glory. But one day we will. We'll behold Him. So that's the flower. There's, there's the root, the absolute truth of the resurrection. There's the flower, the fact that that resurrection distinguishes biblical Christianity from false religions and finally the fruit, the result you know, in Spanish, el fruto el resultado is lo mismo, no? The fruit and result that it means the same thing. It's the result, right? We understand that the fruit of the tree; it's the result. The, the The flower comes out, and and then the out of that bud, out of that flower, it, it, the the seed is there, and the fruit wraps around the seed, and so that's the result. That's the, the end result of a tree, of a, of a of an apple tree, or a, a pear tree, or an orange tree. So the fruit is that the resurrection brings hope and assurance peace and comfort to the hearts and lives of God's people Let, let's, let's finish reading this, this section in 1 Corinthians 15 starting in verse 35 for some men will say how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come thou fool which which thou sowest is not quickened or made alive except it die and that which thou sowest thou sowest not the body that shall be but bare grain it might if it by may may chance of wheat or some other grain in other words out in Kansas you know they have a lot of wheat fields and corn fields and things like that well, that little seed that little wheat seed or that little corn seed you put it in the ground and this wonderful plant comes out of it, it doesn 't look anything like a seed but there's the plant verse 38, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him to every seed his own body all flesh is not the same flesh but there's one flesh of a kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. Uh, There are celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And there is one glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and another glory of stars. For one star differeth from another in glory. In other words, we can understand how, how, there's, different, how there's different glories, how there's the sun and the moon aren't the same, that the stars are different. Even at night you can see there's different stars with different brilliance and brightness and, and, and color and glory. So we understand all that. Well, that's what he's saying. Don't think our bodies are going to be exactly like these bodies. They're going to look like this, for the most part. I tell my wife all the time, when you get to heaven, I'm going to have to say, Honey, this is me, it's Mark, I was your husband, you know, there. Because I'm going to be good looking in heaven. Because there ain't no ugly in heaven, okay? I'm going to be good looking there. So anyway, finally, finally I'll be good looking after all these years. You see why I want to go to heaven, right? I really I want to be good looking someday. But anyway, so we'll have that glorified body, right? Um, verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in corruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. As is written, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. But the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a quickening spirit. Howbeit that which was first, which is spiritual, uh, that which is first was not, was not first that which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth. Adam of the earth. Earthy. And the second man is, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they that are earthy. In other words, temporal bodies. Bodies that suffer. Bodies that, that go through pain. Bodies that, that get weak and sick and things like that. And, and, and as is the heavenly, such are they which are heavenly. And as we are born the image of the earthly, the image of Adam, so all shall bear the image of the heavenly. It says in 1 John 3 that those of us that have this hope in us, that realize that when we see the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll finally be like Him. And we have that hope in us, we purify ourselves because we're going to be like Him someday. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We should not all sleep. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written Death is swallowed up in victory. Now here's some wonderful verses O oh death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's our hope. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast unmovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for, for much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What a God we have. A God of comfort. A God who, in the midst of all this, brings comfort to our souls. When you go to John chapter 20, and just for time's sake, we're, we've really kind of gone over a couple of minutes, but I want to share this. When the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from among the dead, and, and, and Mary saw them in the garden, uh, Peter and John saw the empty grave, the empty tomb. They went back to the upper room where they had been. They locked the door to fear of the Jews. And here the Lord Jesus walks right through the door. And what's the very first word that comes out of His mouth? you remember what it was? Peace. What a word. What a word. Peace. He showed him his hands and he showed him his feet. He said, it's me. It's really me. And you know what it says? When they saw it was the Lord, their hearts were glad. Their hearts were glad. Don't we get thrilled when we think about the fact that Jesus Christ only died, but he rose again from among the dead? You know, when there's a lot of songs written about when we when the when we get up to heaven, when we get the rapture occurs and whatever. And 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 let me tell you, I know exactly what we're gonna do. People got to wonder what are, do, what are we gonna do? There's no doubt in my mind. We're not gonna be looking around and see who's there and who's not. We're not gonna be looking around and say which one is he? We're gonna know which one he is. And I don't doubt in my mind that every one of us are gonna do just like the apostle John. In Revelation chapter 1, we're going to fall at His feet like dead men. When we see Him finally in all of His glory. In His resurrection power. We're going to fall at His feet. And I think the first word out of every one of our mouths is going to be, Thank you, Lord, for loving me and giving yourself for me. It says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified with, by faith, we have peace with God. I didn't know that for the first 20 years of my life. Just peace with God. But we've got it. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 says, And let the peace of God, not only have peace with God, but the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. And finally, it's the fact that it's the God of peace. Hebrews 13 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful, blessed hope. What a wonderful peace and comfort we have in our hearts because Jesus Christ rose again from among the dead and He lives forevermore. And if you're here this morning you know i'm not big in documentation but if you want to talk there's a lot of people here that know the lord if you want to talk to somebody, if you don't have that absolute joy if what i've been talking about this morning didn't just thrill your heart not because i said it but because of the truth that it's in the word if you don't have that absolute assurance that if you walked out that door and on your way back to your house you got in a car wreck and you died you don't know for sure where you're going to spend eternity Maybe you say, oh, well, I think I'm going to heaven. I believe I'm going to heaven. Maybe I'm going to heaven. Listen, those of us that know Christ, what do we say? We know we're going to heaven. Not because we're better people than anybody else, but because we put our hope, our confidence, our faith, and our trust in one who died on a cross and rose again from among the dead. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And if you haven't done that yet, maybe you're putting part of your trust in Him and part in something else. Today is the day. That you can have the absolute knowledge and assurance that your sins have been forgiven and that you're going to spend eternity with Him because He died for you as well. Our Father and our God in Heaven, thank You so very much. Wow, what a Savior Jesus Christ is. Absolutely complete. You know, i think in the old testament there's there's types of him and pictures of him I, I think i think moses brought the children of israel out of egypt which is a type of the world but he sure couldn't bring them across the jordan river into the promised land it took another man to do that but jesus christ did it all for us he brought us out of this cesspool of humanity this cesspool of of sin of our lives under the domain and the slavery of sin and of Satan, He snatched us out as a brand from the fire, and He put our feet on a solid rock. He took us out of that family of Satan and brought us into His own family. He made us your adopted children, your adopted sons and daughters, and He made us heirs of you, co heirs with Him of everything, and He gave us the absolute assurance of eternal life. And Father, we just rejoice in that, those of us that know Him here this morning. But again if there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ that you would touch their hearts not by what I said but by the truth of your word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and no, Father bring them to that place where they fall on their face crying out to you for mercy because you said no one would ever be cast out or turned aside that came to you seeking salvation. Do a great work O Father let your word accomplish the purpose you had for it today. Because Jesus Christ deserves to receive the reward of his great suffering for us. In his name we ask. Amen. Thank you.